What are some of the characteristics of Jesus' life as an evangelist? Well, I'll give you three of them. And here's the first one. He accepted the disciples of John the Baptist and their need to follow him. He accepted that John the Baptist was now bringing his own disciples to Jesus and Jesus didn't reject them. He received them and wanted them to follow him. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part two of Pastor Lance Quinn's new series, John the Baptist and Jesus as Evangelists, from John's Gospel, Chapter 1. Do you know why these two are critical to look to as models for evangelism? Well, John the Baptist was completely unselfish in his life's work, and he preached a message of repentance. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, reached out to people, clean or unclean, Jew or Gentile, and if they followed, he would accept them without sending them away. What does that mean to us? Are we sharing the complete gospel, that they're to repent first and then place their confidence and trust alone in Jesus as Savior and Lord? We may be inclined to skip the repentance part and just begin selling them on the blessings of walking with Jesus. Here's part two now of John the Baptist and Jesus as Evangelists. Look at verse 33. I did not recognize him, but he, that is God the Father, who sent me to baptize in water, what? Said to me. That's the exclusivity of John the Baptist hearing directly from the Father. And then notice, he upon whom you, singular you, you see. That's the one you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. This is evidently a divine revelation directly now speaking and being visualized to and by John the Baptist. We see the same thing, I think, in Matthew chapter 3, when it gives the account of the baptism of Jesus. Notice this in Matthew chapter 3. I believe it's verse 16. Verse 16 of Matthew 3. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he, that is, either a reference to John the Baptist or a reference to Christ. I take it as a reference to Christ. He, Christ, saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's why I take it as a reference to God the Father speaking directly to John the Baptist. I'm telling you that this is my son. Someone wants to say, however, but wait a minute, they were cousins. And uh, wasn't John the Baptist aware that Jesus, his cousin, was the Messiah from his earliest days of recollection? Probably not. You say, how can this be? This was for the opportunity for John the Baptist to know that in the baptism event of Christ, that this, in fact, is Messiah, and I'm revealing it to you right now for my own sovereign purposes to give John the Baptist the clear declaration, probably all the way through his imprisonment and to his death, that I know the Messiah who is to come. His name is Jesus. He was born 
in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. And I know with certainty now, because I've received this divine revelation from God, from the very lips of the Father himself, and by the Holy Spirit, and even by Jesus himself, who witnesses with me in the baptism event, because Jesus says, permitted at this time, John the Baptist, for in doing this baptism, we are fulfilling all righteousness. So Jesus knows, and John the Baptist knows, and they know through this event that He is the Messiah, He is the Holy One, He is the King of Israel. And if we witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to anybody around us, it is that same sense that it has been revealed to us through the pages of Holy Scripture, divine revelation, that the entire Trinity is involved in testifying that Jesus is the Messiah. Christ's baptism, the Father reaching down from heaven with an audible voice, and the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. In other words, the entire Godhead witnesses to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah come to the world. Number three. Number three. This is amazing. John the Baptist emphasized the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ on the cross and Christ's greater baptism by the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again. This is another feature of his evangelism. He emphasized the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ and Christ's greater baptism by the Holy Spirit. In other words, this speaks of the objective nature of the work of Christ on the cross. It speaks very objectively to the nature of Christ's work on the cross. You say, how does John the Baptist do that? How does he do that in his evangelistic encounters with others? Well, notice what he does on two occasions. He says, verse 29, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I love this second reference. Notice in verse 35, Again, the next day... John was standing with two of his disciples, and we know them to be Andrew and John, the very writer of this gospel. He was standing with the two of them, and he looked at Jesus as he walked. Presumably, Jesus was walking by, and maybe he saw him at a distance. And John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which then causes these two disciples to follow Jesus, according to verse 37. Which means that... The effort in the evangelization of these two disciples by John the Baptist is so clear that he points away from himself and he's now received this divine revelation that Jesus is in fact the Messiah by the very mouth of the Father, by the very descending of the Spirit, and by Jesus himself submitting himself to the baptism and saying, John, allow it to be done for the fulfillment of all righteousness. And Jesus declares himself in John's mind to be that Messiah. It's clear. It is absolutely irrevocable. He's the Messiah come from God. Even if the crowd doesn't recognize it at that point, John begins to proclaim it. And the closest people to him, his own disciples, he points away from himself and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. It's as though he's saying something like this. I want you to move away from the discipleship that I have gained with you and I want you to now follow the Lord Jesus. Follow him. And how does he do it? 
Behold, the Lamb of God. That speaks of substitutionary atonement. The Lamb of God. It could have meant, even though I don't think John the Baptist was very specific here, as though he's referring to one particular thing. As I said last time, I think it's probably very general, and it probably could point to at least three things. It certainly could be pointing to the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus, right? He is that Passover lamb. Or it could, of course, refer to all of those lambs that were sacrificed every day in the temple. In fact, even when John the Baptist uttered those words on those two days, behold the Lamb of God, and then the next day to Andrew and John, behold the Lamb of God, lambs were being sacrificed that very day. That that would have been very clear in the minds of these Jewish men. Or it, of course, could be referring in these Jews and their minds, Isaiah 53. So we don't know exactly what John the Baptist was referring to, but we do know this. Whether it's talking about the Passover lamb, whether it's talking about the lambs that were slaughtered every day, or we're talking about the Isaiah 53 reference to the Lamb of God, we know this. John the Baptist was referring to the substitutionary, vicarious atonement of Christ when he says, Behold, Jesus is God's Lamb. And that is our witnessing effort to everyone to whom we speak, right? We point them to Christ and we tell them about Christ's cross and we tell them what happened on that cross and we tell them that whether it's prefigured in the Old Testament or a reality in the New or that we're looking back on it, we say Jesus Christ was sacrificed on the cross for sinners like you and like me. That's That's absolutely crucial for any evangelistic effort that you and I would have with other people. We've got to talk about the cross. We've got to talk about the cross. Don't always talk about yourself and how you came to Christ. It's not wrong to do that, but there's something that's so much better than you're doing that. And it's to talk about Christ. It's to move away from yourself to talk about Him. And how do you do it? You can do it by saying, I bear witness that the Word of God says that Jesus is our Savior. And if I hold Him out to you, He can be your Savior if you are willing. And how do you do that? You can say, because Jesus Christ died on that cross for sinners like you and me, so that Jesus in His own body on that tree bore the cost of what it meant to experience the wrath of God Himself. You see, there's a whole lot more here in the life and the ministry of John the Baptist in his evangelistic encounters with people than we might give him credit for. And here's a fourth one. Here's a fourth element of his evangelistic ministry. He preached repentance and the forgiveness of sins. He preached repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You know how I said that that third point speaks to the objective reality of the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. That's, That's an objective fact, whether or not you and I would acknowledge that fact, whether or not we can get an unbeliever to acknowledge that that's what Christ did objectively on the cross, that He died for sinners. In other words, there's a sense in which that objectively happened, and whether or not you and I confess that, or whether or not we get somebody in an evangelistic encounter to to acknowledge that, it happened, it's objective, it will always be true, and it has nothing to do with you and me in that subjective sense, because it objectively occurred in 33 AD. It is a fact 
beyond dispute. It is a place and time in history that occurred, and there's nothing that anybody could do to sway you to think that it didn't happen because it did. But that's not where the gospel stops, right? Because there might be a whole lot of people out there, there are Jews, who would acknowledge that there's a real possibility, if not that it actually did happen to a person named Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, who lived in Nazareth, who died on a cross, right? But here's the subjective element. It's not just as though we hold that up as an objective fact. We must also say to people that we're witnessing to, subjectively speaking, you must repent. You must turn. The only way that you're going to be forgiven of your sins is to repent. That's part and parcel of any witnessing opportunity that you and I have. We have to tell people to repent. We don't just say, wouldn't it be a good idea to affirm the objective reality that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners? It's not enough. We must tell them, in addition to the objective fact of what happened to Jesus, you and I must turn from our sins so that we might be forgiven of them in Christ and what He did on that cross. This speaks of the subjective basis for being saved. That's turning from your sin. This was John the Baptist's message. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 4. If you put all the synoptic Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see very, very clearly that this was the clarion call for these evangelists. Not just for John the Baptist, but for Jesus as well. Look at Mark Chapter 1, verse 4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's his message. And that's what our message must be. We must preach repentance. If you're not telling people, and of course, it's all in the way you say it, and it's all in the heart of of your desire to say it, and it's all bound up in the prayers as you're saying it. God, open this person's heart, make their heart soft. But at some point, you've got to get to the bottom line, and that is you need to turn from your sins to follow Christ. And if you do, the Word of God says you'll be forgiven. That's John the Baptist's message of repentance for the forgiveness of of sins. Look at Luke chapter 1. This was prophesied by John the Baptist's father about what John the Baptist would do in this message that he preached. In Luke chapter 1, in that prophecy of Zacharias, look at verse 76. This is what John the Baptist's dad said about his son. And you, child, Luke one seventy six, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, verse 77, to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. And how does that come? Through repentance. If we were to look at Matthew chapter 3, for example, and when the Pharisees came to John the Baptist in Bethany beyond the Jordan, to be baptized, what did he say to them? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruit in keeping with what? Repentance. 
That's our message. In the American church of the 20th and 21st century, it is virtually certain that in the vast majority of cases, when the gospel is proclaimed, whether it's proclaimed in a preaching context or in a one-on-one context or in a group context that's smaller maybe than a church service, it is virtually certain that repentance will probably not be mentioned. You might hear someone say, wouldn't you want to come to Jesus? Wouldn't you want to have a better life? Wouldn't you want to put your marriage back together? Wouldn't you want to be successful? You know what that is? That is a list of what could be construed as the benefits of the gospel, but there's no mention of the gospel itself. The gospel itself is repentance for the forgiveness of sins and placing your confidence and your trust alone in Jesus as Savior and Lord. That was the ministry of John the Baptist. And that's our need to take those four points from his life and see our evangelistic encounters mirror that of our friend John the Baptist. Now, how about Jesus? Second point in our outline this morning. How about Jesus? He's the uber evangelist. He's the preeminent evangelist. And we move, as we should, from the human being, John the Baptist, to the God-man, Jesus himself, to see what his evangelistic strategies are. And that, of course, begins for us in verse 38 of John 1, what we read at the beginning. What about him? What are some of the characteristics of Jesus' life as an evangelist? Well, I'll give you three of them. And here's the first one. He accepted the disciples of John the Baptist and their need to follow him. He accepted that John the Baptist was now bringing his own disciples to Jesus and Jesus didn't reject them. He received them and wanted them to follow him. That's that's a major difference, obviously, between the discipleship that they had with John the Baptist and now this discipleship that they're receiving from the Lord Jesus. And he accepted it. He encouraged it. Because he was the one who truly needed to be followed. And what I see there is that it speaks of the lordship of Christ. Speaks of the lordship of Christ. And it speaks of the disciples of Christ needing to emulate their master. So that as they are following Christ, they're encouraging others as Christ called them to follow him to follow Christ as well. This is a major point. Because this goes right to the issue of the lordship of Christ. And again, in our evangelistic efforts in the 21st century, you will often hear people say something like this, wouldn't you want to have Christ as your Savior? Wouldn't you want Christ to forgive you of your sins? Even if they do talk about repentance, even if they say you need to turn from your sins and you need to see Christ as your Savior. You remember that Pastor John wrote a book called The Gospel According to Jesus. And the reason why it seemed to be so controversial in that time was that there were so many Bible teachers out there saying that you could actually have a class of Christians who had Jesus as their Savior, but not as their Lord. And that what they needed to do was move into a to a deeper level of discipleship so that they could have Jesus not only as their Savior, but also as their Lord. And that's not consistent with New Testament teaching. And you can see right here, right in verse 38, and Jesus turned 
and saw them, that is, Andrew and John, who had been John the Baptist's disciples, he saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you going? He said to them, come and you will see. It wasn't just, hey, come on and I'll show you some things. That word come, that was a summons. That was a summons to follow his lordship. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just an excellent guide. He is the Lord, yea, even the Lord of lords. And when he says to them, come and follow me, come and see what I will show you, he's telling them that as a part of the evangelism of the day, as part and parcel of his message, it is repentance for the forgiveness of sins and following Christ as Lord. Master. To put it in parlance that we would understand today, he's in charge, I'm not. This was the theme. Verse 37, they followed Jesus. Verse 39, he says, come and you will see. Look at verse 43. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and Jesus found Philip and said to him, what? Follow me. It wasn't just, I think I'm a really interesting guy. I think you'd enjoy some fellowship with me. It was, I want you to leave what you're doing. I want you to leave whatever it was, was your lifestyle, even if that meant that it was a lifestyle enmeshed in the rules and regulations of Judaism. I'm calling you to a higher level of discipleship. I'm calling you to bear your own cross and follow me. Now, they didn't understand it at that time, but they would in time, right? This is a call to follow the Lordship of Christ. Look at verse 46. They turn around and do the same thing that Jesus is calling them to do. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. That's exactly what Jesus said earlier, right? Come and see. They get the idea. We found the Lord. In fact, isn't it true that they know that He is the Messiah? Because in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, We have found Him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. This is amazing. Jesus is the evangelist who says, follow me. So what should be our evangelistic message? Turn from your sin right? Follow Christ. Follow Him as Lord. Follow Him as Master. Does He not say in the Gospel of Luke, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and what? Do not do the things that I say. Which is to say that a person who claims that Jesus is their Savior, but who refuses to follow Him as their Lord, is essentially doing the same thing. I say that He's my Lord, at least in the sense that He's my Savior, but I am going to run my own life. I'm going to do my own thing. I want to follow Him. I want fire insurance. I want to be out of hell. But as far as Jesus being my master, my guide, my teacher, my Lord, the one who calls the shots, the one who tells me what to do, no, 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 I didn't sign up for that. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. 
John the Baptist was not a fashionable man, nor did he need to have a band of disciples. In fact, his Philip and Andrew were first followers of John the Baptist, but they left him to follow Jesus, apparently with John the Baptist's blessing. That attitude is sometimes necessary to be effective in bringing souls to Christ. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Lance Quinn, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If you'd like to learn more about Timeless Truth Today, visit our website, timelesstruthtoday.org. In addition to learning the background and purpose of this outreach ministry, timelesstruthtoday.org offers a large audio library of Pastor Lance's teachings. On the homepage, select Broadcasts, and there you'll access the entire audio library, including this series. Listen tomorrow as we continue in our series, John the Baptist and Jesus as Evangelists, with Part 3. Hope you'll join us then. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.